0: I just don't think I can continue to live in a place that embraces and nurtures apathy as if it was a virtue. you know, different. You know better. I didn't say I was different or better. I'm not. Hell, I sympathize. I, I sympathize completely. Apathy is a solution. I mean, it's, it's easier to lose yourself in drugs than it is to cope with yeah. life. It's easier to steal what you want than it is to, to earn it. Yeah. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise it. Hell, love costs. It takes effort and work. We are talking about people who are mentally ill. We are talking about people fucking crazies. No, no, yes. we're not. No, no. Today, we're, we're, we're talking about everyday life here. We, we, you, 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 you can't today, afford to be this naive. Fuck off. See, you, you should listen to yourself. Yeah.
1: You say that the problem with people is that they don't care. So I don't care about people. It makes no sense you know why uh, you you can you, you want to know damn right
0: and you're gonna make a difference
1: whatever the point is is that i don't think you're quitting because you believe these things you say i don't
0: i think you want to believe them because you're quitting Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodingson. And before we get to talking about seven today, uh, we are going to give you some recommendations per the usual. Ian, I'm going to go first. Please do. So uh, I think uh, I don't know how often I'll do it on the show, but my I'm going to start coming up with recommends that are sort of like I can't believe it took my wife this long to see this movie recommends. Um, so this one is perfect. Uh, so I, you you know how it is sometimes where it's it's late and you you've given up on really deciding on on watching something new or exciting. You're just like fuck it. I just we're going to put something on that we've seen a million times. So I don't know. About a week and a half ago, it was one of those nights, she was doing payroll, I was doing something else, and we weren't, we weren't ready for bed, but we did we needed to start something. So, this isn't even about the movie. This is so much preamble. So, we turned on uh, the one of the John Mulaney stand-ups on Netflix. Goes down real easy, right? Just a nice, nah, he's funny. We like this. I don't remember which one it is, but it's the one where he does the whole bit about The Fugitive.
1: That's, uh, that's the comeback kid. Okay. That's
0: actually, so, before you begin... Yeah.
1: Uh, I took Liz to see that when he toured that in Seattle, front row, no big deal, and uh, and I had we had literally watched The Fugitive. I don't even think two weeks before we saw that Mulaney show. So when that happened in the show, she kind of gave me the side eye thing, like, "Did you you and Mulaney? Did you guys plan this? Like what?" <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I love that he like stops and then. He's like, no, 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 wait. That's the bit where he's yeah. talking. Med- med- Ladies med- and gentlemen,
0: my friend Dr. Richard Kimball. Um, so what, what kind of accent is that? So so we're watching this, and she goes, I've never seen The Fugitive. And I was like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. Which would have been my reaction as well. That and is like top five Harrison Fords ever. And so, And so... Because I because I was watching so so next week we're doing the, the Fincher episode I was I've been rewatching so many that I had I didn't have any real recommends because they were all kind of going towards that and I go can we just watch something tonight that I've seen before that I can just really enjoy she goes sure and I narrowed it down I was like please pick the fugitive. please pick the fugitive and she did I was like yes so we watched fugitive last night and um I I don't know what else to say about this I, this movie is just great in in all of its great parts um. Uh, I think that that mostly the direction is really well. Tommy Lee Jones, anytime he is on screen in this movie, I I, I, I had a dumb grin on my face. Oh, because he nails
1: it. He so is just hard. so
0: fucking good in this movie. Um, and you know, what, and honestly, I really like Harrison Ford in this, too, who I, I think is a uh, I, Harrison Ford is a movie star. I, I get that he's an actor, but there's a difference in acting ability sometimes between what I would call an actor and a movie star. I'm not saying that he's bad. I just think it's a different world of acting. And his movie star performance in this is less, like, indie and more human being, if that makes any well, sense.
1: It, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to completely disagree with that, because this could go down a whole rabbit hole of other conversation. But That's fair. People, yeah. people turn out for his movie star roles. They turn oh, out absolutely. for Star Wars. They mm-hmm. turn out for Indiana Jones, yeah. Air Force One, this, yeah. to a degree, The Fugitive. But they, they don't turn out for his more nuanced sort of performances, those darker roles, the things where he actually does try to do something like sure. Mosquito Coast, which disappeared without a trace. And uh, I I know it did good business, but something even like What Lies Beneath.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't
1: think gets enough play. As That's As well fair. as the one that he did before that. It's not a great movie, but uh, the one that he did with Pollock, the second, sa- well, the, Second or third one he did with Pollock, Random Hearts, with him and Kristen Scott Thomas. I don't think I've even heard of yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like People don't turn out for the ones where he's... I'm not going to say that he's not trying in the other ones, because he very obviously is, but the ones where he's trying something else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So just, I mean, if you don't know this movie, that's fine. The briefest of plot synopsis is, is uh, Harrison Ford plays this doctor, Dr. Richard Kimball, who has been convicted of killing his wife, and he claims that it was a one-armed man who did it. Um, through uh, a couple of random incidents he's able to escape from this bus and now he is a fugitive and tommy lee jones heads up the u.s Marshal's office that is trying to hunt him down and uh you, you know it's not just because he's a doctor but um richard kimball is very much a very smart guy he's very adaptive and is he's he's sort of basically doing his own investigation and trying to prove what actually happened um and really without saying i mean I'm gonna leave it at that in terms of the description, because that, that really does set up what the movie's about. And if for some reason you haven't seen it, I haven't given anything away that would really spoil it for you. Um, but I mean, it's one of those ones where, I, you know, we we're watching the movie and I leaned over to Melissa. It's, it's the first time, it was right after Tommy Lee Jones says, you know, in every hen house, dog house, outhouse, or whatever, in a 12 mile radius. And I'm like, and I just had like a big dumb grin on my face. And I leaned over and I go, he won for this. And she was like, Really? I was like, yeah. I go, this was up for Best Picture. And she goes, no. And I was like, yeah. I go, and I don't, I can't believe it was up for Best Picture. Not in a fuck that kind of way, but that's not the kind of movie that usually gets nominated for Best Picture. Every once in a while you get like a fugitive that's there and you're like, no way! Yeah, like you know, it's not gonna win, but it's really nice yeah. that they acknowledged, you know, like a a something like a, that a thriller. Yeah, you know,
1: just a, a a standard boilerplate detective kind of noirish thriller.
0: Yeah. And it's so Chicago, you can't even. It, it's just it's uber Chicago. I I love it, and it's it's got Joey Pants in it too, man. Joey Pants giving it given a nice character performance in there. I, I don't know what else to say. It just. Check it out. If you if for some reason you've made it this far in your life and you haven't seen The Fugitive, this is like I I I think I want to I don't I don't want to misquote you, but I I remember a, a while ago you were watching The Departed and you I don't know if it was in a text or later on, but you mentioned it was like slipping into a warm bath, just like, "Ah, oh yes." Oh, absolutely. This is so good and so familiar. Yeah. That's what The Fugitive is too. It's one of those oh, 100%. just 100%. And if you haven't seen it, this will I, I I would make I would bet good money this becomes one of your like Oh, yeah go to's like like a sick in bed kind of you know what i'm going to put on the fugitive so that is my oh and my link i was talking about the links i have for our, my recommends this recording session arnold copelson produced this movie and he also helped produce 7 there you go so there's my link to 7 i actually made it work too so there you Perfect. go it was going to be by the way it was going to be the fugitive or snatch so i had some kind of a link to get into 7 so anyways nice. that is my recommend for the week in what is your recommendation
1: uh, my recommendation is something a little bit newer. Okay. Uh, and I mentioned it kind of briefly in our uh, episode where we were talking about um, our our favorites of 2019. And I think we talked about a handful of movies that we had missed, like you still hadn't seen Pain and Glory. Mm-hmm. And I still hadn't seen Dr. Sleep, which I know wasn't nominated for anything, but it was something that I was still really looking forward to as a fan of both Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And so I finally saw Dr. Sleep. And I saw the three-hour version of it. Um uh, which, honestly, I, I'm not ever going to go back and, I think, watch the theatrical because I can't imagine it being shorter. Like, I, I, I talk a lot about running time and, and pacing and those kinds of things on these episodes, and I'm, I'm, I seem to be hypercritical of, of that. And in, in a case, I'm always talking about, oh, we could lose five minutes here or you lose ten minutes there and tighten up the pace, but I'm, like, I'm thinking to myself, I can... I can rationalize why you would want to take some of this stuff out, but it would really sell the film short. So my recommendation is to, is to not just go out and see Dr. Sleep, but to find the three hour sure. director's cut as yeah. well. So it, um, it picks up um, like 30 some odd years uh, after the shining is over. Danny is, is a grown man. He's played by Ewan McGregor and mm-hmm. uh, he's dealing now with a lot of the same problems that his father dealt with. He's slipping rapidly into alcoholism and he's really on his way to hitting bottom in fact there's a scene uh pretty early on where he ends up waking up in a bed he has no idea where he is there's a naked woman next to him who's thrown up on the bed and then he you know he's trying to get his stuff together and get out as quickly as he can and then there's a little toddler sitting in the living room and it's just it's haunting like really haunting what happens next and part of it was actually i was reading about the comparisons between the theatrical and the and the directors and there's a moment that they pulled out of the director's cut for the theatrical I was like no you no you can't do that you 100% need that moment um so again watch the 3 hour version so anyway he's um he hits bottom and he gets the hell out of town and he starts to sort of rebuild his life and and he's trying to ignore the shining the best he can and he becomes this doctor sleep they call him he ends up getting a job through Alcoholics Anonymous uh, as as an orderly at an elderly home and he kind of helps people transition from this life to the next you know easing their suffering as they die and then the the sort of other stories how it's going to come back to him having to to reopen those other parts of his psyche and, the, and reuse the shining if you will is uh there's this roving gang called the true knot which is headed up by rebecca ferguson uh and they go around torturing and murdering children that uh have the shining or have that special gift because pain and fear draws it out of them there's a terribly terribly haunting scene with uh jacob trembley from uh, room, room. Uh, and it's fucking hard to watch yeah um so they're they're going around they're doing their thing and then there's this other this young girl who is like an uber shining kid like she shines more than anybody else that they've encountered and so they they want her and they want to use her as almost like a, a cow you know they just want to keep using her as long as they can and of course she's been interacting uh, telekinetically, or whatever you will, with the Ewan with Danny Torrance, and uh, so it's kind of like up to them to to stop this roving gang. And of course, the the big finale is going to end up back at the Overlook. You know, they're looking for a place. So where can we make a stand against these people? And he's like, Well, I know a place. Yeah, and. You know, I, I had mentioned in that, that previous episode how I thought that even before going into this movie, I thought that it was a, a miracle that they, they got to make it the way they wanted to because Stephen King is hugely outspoken about how much he hates Kubrick Shining, which yeah. I think is just absurd. I think that's an author being extremely precious about their material, which is, is fair. I sure, mean, he, exactly. He wrote it. He can feel however he wants to yeah. about it, but you can't not acknowledge the Enormous fan base built around The Shining, around Kubrick's version, and yep. that there are a lot of fans out there that accept the book and accept the movie as their own entities. Mm-hmm. And so, what uh, Mike Flanagan, the the guy who directed this thing, who also directed most of the Netflix series The Haunting of Hill House, I think movies, he did all of it. I think he did as well. Yeah, and then he also did Gerald's Game, which is another uh, King adaptation that was on Netflix as well, which I hear is fantastic. And now I'm going to try and go out of my. Way I've to heard see good that. things about yeah, it too. I heard it was amazing. Yeah. Um, he was able to convince Stephen King that, hey, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna honor your book as best as I can, but not just honor Doctor Sleep, but to go back to the Shining as well and maybe re examine some of the things that that Kubrick didn't and so we can have this sort of melding of the two worlds because I mean you can't make a sequel to the Shining without acknowledging what went before That's and- kind
0: of what I had heard. That yeah. th- that it was a best effort to oh. try to get that in there. And it's they nailed it. This oh, good. I, okay. I, I got I got
1: an hour and maybe 45 minutes into this thing, still knowing that there was more than another hour to go. And I was grinning from ear to ear like an idiot. It was a very, it was a similar feeling to Blade Runner 2049 where I went in with sort of reasonable expectations, knowing that this thing could go south really, really easy. But halfway in, I'm like, oh my God, this is the sequel I didn't know I wanted and I love it and it earns Everything that it does, especially in that final act where they go back to the Overlook and they've recreated everything from scratch. And the actors that they got to uh, portray, uh, Wendy and young Danny and um, Dick Halloran, who's played by Scatman Others, that guy, fantastic. And then they also got Henry Thomas. Elliot from E.T. Yeah, plays... Jack Torrance. He's not Jack Torrance. So he's become a part of the hotel now, like the other people that we saw in The yeah. Shining. He doesn't really know who he is. Yeah. He's taken over the Joe Torrekel role of the bartender. There okay. is this haunting, haunting. I keep using that word, but it's a haunting shot of where you McGregor gets back to the Overlook, and he's waking up the hotel. Yeah. He pulls that whole. Guess what? I'm back and you start to see the hotel react to him being there. Yeah. And he walks into the gold room where the bar is and Jack's glass is still sitting there on the bar and he sits down at it and then all of a sudden there's Henry Thomas doing an absolutely amazing Jack Nicholson. It's not one of those over the top Kevin Pollak kind of impressions. It's sure. very very subtle. Yeah. And for most of his scene it's just shot side profile. Yeah which I think was absolutely the right choice. So anyway, I could spend a whole episode talking about Doctor Sleep. Sorry, I know we're probably running over on time it's already, but man, I I cannot tell you how much I loved this thing. Great. They fucking nailed it. That's for good all to hear. for all the naysayers out there, I don't know what you were expecting, but they fucking nailed it.
0: Well, that's good to hear. And it certainly seems like Flanagan is becoming one of the, you know, four or five names in horror now, which is great.
1: Now, I think he's gunning for Darabont's title as the best adapter
0: Stephen King material nice nice that's true I mean yeah yeah I I not having seen Gerald's game but I I would say or this but I but from what I hear that seems that seems like a pretty good comparison I think he's on track to to maybe not top the shine uh the
1: Shawshank Redemption but at least Green Mile sure well I I would I I, I, don't think Green, so f- I don't think Green Mile's aged all that well. Well, I I know there's a lot of reverence for it, but sure. I would certainly yeah. put Doctor Sleep up against it as a great Stephen King adaptation.
0: Yeah, well, that's awesome to hear. I I, I don't I just it's again there's so many movies it's hard, but I definitely want to see it. Yeah, so. and like I said, definitely cue up that three hour cut. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Uh, so well, here we go moving on to i know how pumped you've been for this and and me too honestly before we
1: even start i went back through a lot of my i went into my archives and found a lot of my best of lists and Mm -hmm. and my favorites of all time and how those lists have changed over the years yeah and seven has never not been on it my top 10 of all time yeah i i since about 2001 never not been on that
0: list it's it's just fantastic um so Seven, uh, is directed by David Fincher. Uh, we will get more into his filmography, uh, next week. Um, but this is uh, written by Andrew Kevin Walker, uh, and our cast. I like that. This is pretty much a small, it's a, it's, I mean, it's a big movie, but in terms of who we really talking about as a small cast. So, um, we have Brad Pitt who plays detective David Mills. We have Morgan Freeman who plays detective William Somerset. We have Gwyneth Paltrow who plays Tracy Brad Pitt's wife. Um, we have uh Kevin Spacey as John Doe, who, um, of course, we'll talk about soon, but doesn't he's not credited in the opening um in the credits, so, so but he's twice in the closing credits. Yes. To yes. kind of make up for it. And then the I know there's other people we could list. I put Arlie Ermy as the Which, police how captain. Can you not? No, he's no, so, of course. He's so good in this. But everybody else is really only like Richard Schiff is in it as um as John Doe's attorney and Richard Roundtree is the DA. But it's like and so is – John C. McGinley in it as the, one of the SWAT guys, but uh, – Mark Boone Jr. is the – I think
1: he's credited as greasy FBI man. Yeah. The so... one person I would be remiss if we didn't list is Leland Orser as the, uh, the guy that has to wear the knife
0: dildo for the lust oh. victim.
1: Leland Orser is, I think, one of the most underrated character actors of all time.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about him later. That his, his performance is, uh, it's really just the one scene in the, in the interrogation room, but he's, yeah, he's losing his mind. Yeah, he's incredible. <laughs> um, so, uh, again, next week we'll talk more about David Fincher. So, David Fincher has uh, three films in the book total. This, Fight Club, and The Social Network we'll leave those thoughts just where they are for now cuz we will definitely talk more about that next week during our epic fincher uh, we've episode. We got a great episode planned next week. Yeah, it's going to be fucking amazing. Um so in terms of accolades, um at the Academy Awards it was up for one uh nomination. It was up for best editing. It lost to Apollo 13, which I hard to That's a that's a tough one. It's a tough yeah, that's exactly. That's a really
1: tough break. In a year where Apollo 13 doesn't come out, I think this wins. Yeah, I would say so. But we should also note that both Kevin Spacey and Brad Pitt were also up for Oscars that year as well. Not for this movie. Pitt was up for supporting for 12 Monkeys, and of course,
0: Spacey won supporting for Usual Suspects. Which beat Seven at the BAFTAs for Best Original Screenplay. Um, This is one of those things where, I, I think this is cheeky, but it's true, that Seven was the seventh highest grossing film. Of 1995, uh, bringing in about 327 million dollars. Did you did you look at that sort of top ten for the year, box office wise? No, you
1: didn't. Okay, so on either side of it, um, Batman Forever is above it at number six, and then Casper is just below it at number eight.
0: Okay, so I okay, I understand why those are so high. Casper is not a good movie. <laughs> the kid in me loved it. I'm sure. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I unsecretly love Batman Forever. I really like it. I like the change in direction. I love the over-the-topness of both Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. I have nothing against Val Kilmer in it. I, I'm fine more, with it.
1: More than that, I love hearing about the behind-the-scenes shit of just how much Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey hated each other. Yeah. Like, the first day they met, Tommy Lee Jones was just like, I have no respect for what you do. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, oh God. man. To, to, I'd give anything to be a fly on the wall on that set.
0: You know, here, here's the great thing. Seven, one nomination. Batman Forever, three nominations. Oh, really? Yeah, both sounds and uh, cinematography. Oh, cinematography? Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, not not, not even a little no bit. No way. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that movie so much that I've actually remembered the ones it was nominated oh. for. I know, that's a tough beat. That's yeah, a tough beat. Yeah, gross. Um, we haven't actually talked... Wait, maybe we have. I don't know. It's been a while. Um... A movie on the IMDb 250. We're actually talking about. Um, yeah. This is up there at number 20
1: as of the first of March. It was oh, okay, but it's
0: been there for ages. I don't think yeah. it's going anywhere. Yeah, it's up there. Um, uh, this has a currently. So I find it has an 81 critical and a 95 audience. That 81 needs to be higher. That should be much higher. I, I disagree. Mean, it, it ended up on Roger Ebert's Great Movies list. Yeah, that's and that was the review I pulled. I'll actually, was idea. that and just I. I don't know if this is his opening line, but I really. Again, what makes some of the best critics the best is just the way they're able to, to word things, and I, I really like this, so I'm just going to read this little part. This is as formulaic as an Agatha Christie whodunit, but Seven takes place not in the genteel world of country house murders, but in the lives of two cops, one who thinks he has seen it all and the other who has no idea what he is about to see. Nor is the film about detection. The killer turns himself in when the film still has half an hour to go. It's more of a character study in which the older man becomes a scholar of depravity and the younger experiences in a pitiable and personal way. A hopeful quote by Hemingway was added as a voiceover after preview audiences found the original ending too horrifying. But the original ending is still there and the quote plays more like a bleak joke. The film should end with Freeman's see you around after the devastating conclusion. The Hemingway line is a small consolation.
1: And that was Ebert's great movie
0: review. Yeah, right yeah that's from 2011.
1: So I got a, I got a little something. Uh, I don't think we've pulled anything from Sight and Sound before.
0: No, we, we frequently quote lists. We, we, yeah, we lists. talk about lists there. Yeah. there
1: So I've got a, a piece from John Rathall for writing for Sight and Sound in January of 96. Um, Long is the way and hard that out of hell leads up to light. To have a detective in a Hollywood thriller quoting Paradise Lost is quite perhaps extraordinary enough, but David Fincher has gone further, deriving the whole look of his second feature from Milton's dictum. Working with cinematographer Darius Khondji, with whom he made commercials in the 80s before the Frenchman made his name internationally with Delicatessen, Fincher has created the most authentically hellish screen metropolis since Gotham City, a nameless Warren of damp corridors, subterranean sex joints and dilapidated tenements where it rains all the time. The irony, of course, is that when Mills, Somerset, and Doe finally reach the light, they are still very definitely in hell. That's that's some fucking good writing. Yeah, it is. I mean, it I is. won't I've got the whole review. I won't read the whole thing, but you should you should look it up. It's really a good
0: piece of criticism. Nice, nice. I mean, yeah, I mean again sight and sound is one we see all the time in our research and and we'll quote sometimes in terms of lists and things. So, Yeah, I totally.
1: And, and as far as lists goes, the list of people that were up for Mills and Somerset is incredible. Like yeah. I I have to assume that both Pacino and Hackman really regret turning this down.
0: I would imagine. I mean, and some of the other names too, like Sylvester Stallone, and and I think Denzel was up. Yeah, Den, I I did read that Denzel considers it one of his
1: biggest regrets. Yeah, I read that turning too. Turning down
0: Mills, and and it's funny. I think he he almost tries to correct a little too hard with like the Bone Collector and Fallen. Not too far oh, later. Yeah, making those kind and, of darker movies and he tried to make. At and the it's end not of that the, those are even bad movies. I, but
1: I honestly like The Bone Collector. It's
0: fine. That's Is that one with Jolie? Yeah, Jolie. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. It's I, mean, I don't
1: remember who. Somebody really good plays the villain in that, and I can't remember who it is. I think maybe David Morse.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, never mind. I'm it's been a while. I'm been, probably wrong on that. It's been a hot minute since yeah. I've seen that movie. But
1: Fallen does have another one of my favorite character actors in it, um, Elias Cotillas.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: he's in Fallen. See, I... Kn- I- <laughs> And then we'll talk about him again on the, on next week's episode cuz he pops up again
0: in in it, Zodiac. Yes, he he's also plays uh he plays Casey Jones in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Oh, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's my childhood. Don't yeah, shit on my childhood. Yeah, me too. Okay. I used to love
1: Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, well, and then Ghostbusters don't, and don't all of that scoff. shit.
0: Transformers, don't, ThunderCats. Don't be don't don't w- turn that Black Soul a little undarkened, okay? Come on. Come on. I prefer to leave the past.
1: Whatever. In the past.
0: Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so, this is a tough... I, I, I love this movie so much. I almost think, not beat for beat, but maybe just going through notes um, chronologically as much as we can. Oh, I'm
1: happy to go beat for beat on this though. Okay,
0: so I want to start with one thing. There's a chessboard in Somerset's apartment. And it looks like it's in the middle of a game. But... If there's one thing I would say we can glean from the information we see about him, he's kind of a loner. Who is he playing chess with? I mean, I I guess you can play chess with yourself? I I know I I know that's true, but I and I wonder and again, I'll, I I you know, this must be like the freaking 7th or 8th or ninth or 10th time I've seen this movie. So I couldn't even begin to count. I, I, I really don't know. Um, it's odd, one of those odd, dark, rewatchable movies. Like, and it doesn't scare me away. To I just I I get so into this movie when it's on. Um, but I found that really interesting the the chessboard and that it's clearly those pieces are not you know at the start of a game. They're in the middle of a game, um, which I think is just kind of interesting. So I just wanted to throw that there, right at the top, because it's one of the first things that we get in the movie. Well,
1: I I love all the the set decorations so from the metronome. yes that he has, I, and yep. and when that comes full circle later in the film, when he throws it and the shot from down low and it bounces and skips across the floor, that yeah. is that's one of my fa- that's up there is one of my favorite shots. Oh, it's a great, and, it's a great considering shot. that it follows the apathy conversation that we'll get to. Yeah,
0: and, and there's just something about the way that the the characters are introduced is so great, I and mean, when we get. We get that Somerset is like he's very fastidious. He's very particular. The metronome, I I wrote, you know, that it's a it's certainty in chaos, right? That the, you know, when when we can't get to sleep, when we need something to focus on, the metronome brings us back to a place of calm, to a place of of being stable. And again, when it doesn't work later on, we can tell that something like that, not even that, yeah, can help it, him. It, it's eating at him. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's
1: the the first the 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 first thing that I notice. When the film starts, other than you know, great set design and the look of the film, yep. you know, where they they did uh, they did the bleach bypass on this film, which is where uh, it retains the silver in the film stock, and so you get that. I don't know; it's just there's such a bleak yeah. looking environment, which is exactly what this film needs. But the sound design, and I'm sure on next week's episode we're going to talk about Ren Kyles a lot, who is Fincher's sound design. He's been working with him for forever. Yeah, the way that he layers in. The sound and the, the voices coming through the walls and the sounds of the street. And yeah. And you really feel like this is a living, breathing city, everybody living on top
0: yeah. of each other. Absolutely. It's it's perfect sound design. Uh, we'll talk about Fincher uh, and opening credits a little more next week, but what about those opening credits? It's one of my favorite opening credits. It's scenes. fucking it's, so good. It's great. <laughs> and it's great, too, because if you even if you're unfamiliar with um, Nine Inch Nails, that which is totally fine it's just like the 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 way that the song's been kind of fucked with a little bit and it, it it's such a creepy way to get into what's going to be a very creepy film and i, I just love that the it only it feels like somebody like pulling on piano wires yeah. or pulling on strings and like bending
1: them to the point where they're about to snap
0: And like, I, I, love I fucking that. love that the only The only line we ever hear that ends the credits is the, you bring me closer to God. And then then it's like, now we're in it. Now we're fucking into this. So
1: that's the precursor remix of... um closer yeah uh and they they said that when they designed that title sequence that it was designed to look like it was made by john doe himself and they wanted an excuse to use those notebooks a little bit more because they had spent fifteen thousand dollars in two months on those numerous notebooks so hey we got we really got to get some money out of these things
0: and that's tough because that's the kind of thing that you could see you could easily see a company a production company going you want to spend how much money and time doing what yeah, so glad they did. Oh, absolutely. So glad they did. Yeah, especially
1: I mean, especially when we do get to see them in the movie. Yeah, and and Somerset is pawing through them. And if we had, what does he say? If we had six men working in twenty four hour shifts, it would take us two months to read them all. Yeah, or something like yeah. That. yeah.
0: Um, so then eventually, so then we get to meet Mills, and I love again. Like there are great. Just fucking great things that we see, not here, but that we see that that shows that he's a much different character than Somerset. And for me, it was the pre-tied ties. Oh, he's that's just got, it's such a great detail. It is a perfect detail. It, I mean, because you know
1: he's one of these people that never bothered to learn how to do it. So Tracy it, has probably done that for him, yes. and then hung them all up so that he can just slip them over his head and just tighten them up.
0: And and th- that that is just such a perfect metaphor for Mills, like. It's not that he doesn't know what he's doing, but there's a sense of, um, like... like, A preoccupation. Yes, yeah, yeah. That he's he's so gung-ho that it's the other things, everything else around him kind of, you know, is a wash.
1: Exactly, those small details which are going to come back to bite him in the ass throughout it, the course of the movie. Now, before we get too far away from yeah, the yeah. opening, um, yeah. you read about the original opening, I'm assuming. And and I guess they, they shot a, an alternative opening where somerset is already on the path to getting out of the city retiring this is obviously his last week as a detective and he's going to buy this house and there's this sequence where he's there and he cuts a piece of the silk wallpaper off it's a it's a a flower a rose and he puts that in his pocket and i i love i love knowing that they shot that and i'm glad that they didn't use it because that is a much different movie. That's a start of a different movie, but yeah. kind of with that in mind and knowing that he had that in his pocket the whole movie, kind of, I don't I don't know, there's just something about that that I really enjoyed, knowing that he is on his way out and he has a little something, he has a totem yeah. in his pocket of this is where I'm going. Yeah.
0: So do you, just totally, because we don't know this, so do you think he, he actually had it, like, while shooting the movie? I would hope
1: so. I would think that Morgan Freeman was... There dedicated are, enough to his craft that he he would have
0: not not every uh, uh, theatrical experience I've I've had has afforded me the opportunity to do something like that. But there are a handful of plays where I've been able to either I I've put a picture in my pocket or a note that I've written that I know what it says and I I don't ever I don't reference it in the play. Nobody knows it's on me. But there are times where like I can like if I touch my breast pocket or if I touch my side pocket like I I, I a I know it's there and B it's it's an emotional trigger you know, it's a thing. And so that helps carry performance of the movie. And so I, I agree. One would hope that he had it on him. And there's a, th- beyond just knowing that he's retiring, like that we know what the end goal is. So yeah, that's one yeah. of
1: those little acting things, those acting secrets that I, I love. And yeah, I, it's great. I hope that more actors do things like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I did. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I really hope that that's something that can, I feel like what what we what's happening is everybody is so it, it's coming about about being method, right? It's about losing 100 pounds or um you know, working you know, working someplace for 3 months to to actually get the character where it could just be something as like you know, a little memento on you. That's just it's a psychological thing versus the actual you know, whatever it is. You know, I have to be a... I learn how to be a doctor or I have to pass the bar so I actually could play a lawyer. Like, no, you don't have to do that. There's you don't just, have to go that far. Yeah. There
1: are there are little shortcuts, little things that you can and do. That's,
0: and I feel like this movie is a prime example of things like that. Yes. Which is great.
1: Yeah, there are, there seems like there's enough opportunities for that to happen. Now, again, sorry, again, before we move, again, too far, <laughs> we'll we'll keep going beat for beat, but I, I didn't want to move away from the opening titles without mentioning uh, Kyle Cooper, the guy that designed uh the the opening titles and uh he uh fincher originally wanted once they got this idea together they were originally going to get uh mark romanek who had directed the closer music video and would go on to direct one hour photo which is a great thriller in its own right that was a recommendation and uh for me not to yeah exactly and kyle cooper insisted on doing it himself and so he got uh uh, Angus Wall, who again is another regular collaborator of Finchers, and they just hammered that out over two days. but it took five weeks to edit, apparently, but totally Man. worth it. Yeah. all that work was one hundred percent worth it because that sets the tone better than anything I could have ever come up with. yeah,
0: that yeah it yeah it's, it, it really launches and launches us into the movie um, So the rain, yeah, oh, yeah. I mean so I read a couple of different things I so did, I, did too. one
1: being that it rains all the time thematically that the, they just want it to feel like a constant downpour like you're not getting out of this thing it's adding to the bleakness and the drizzle and yeah the other one was that it was raining on the first day and they only had Brad Pitt for X amount of weeks before he had to go make twelve monkeys, and so it's like shit, we can't afford to fuck around with continuity. It was raining on day one; it's going to rain every day, so that we can control at least this aspect of the schedule.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that that's, and that, that. Either way, it that's works. what I had heard too. Was yeah. just like, well, if it's going to rain, we'll make just you know, we'll have it always be raining, and it'll always look like that.
1: It seems like it's one of those happy accidents.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Um, I don't want to skip over uh gluttony, but that's obviously the first sin that we encounter. Um I read something about the guy that was in the suit um because of of how long he had to be there. Did you did you hear this about oh, the although they they made him well
1: endowed <laughs> yeah. to kind of make up for it
0: for that's the so, one such would, would a random which you, you barely see anyway. Because yeah. when,
1: when Mills goes under the table to see what's under there and sees the huge pail of vomit, I
0: mean he's, yeah. it's it's like a flash he's out of there so quick. And I know this isn't this comes up late, not in, not while they're there, but just the detail of the fact that there were two receipts. That's so great. Like that he, that John Doe went and got more yeah. to come back and do that.
1: Yeah, that's one of those things where I mean, I I brought up Seven quite a bit in our Touch of Evil episode. Yeah, uh, about you know filmmakers showing restraint and making us do a lot of the work, but that's that's why this movie is so great. It harked back to. A different time, a, a time of restriction where you couldn't show
0: everything that you wanted yeah. to. Yeah, I
1: feel like it's the kind of movie that Hitchcock would have made had he
0: not been making films in a production code era. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting because, and I I, we're, I mean we'll jump the shark a little bit, but obviously the ending is very very climatic, and in a way very violent. But again, you think about the the uh, wrath and envy at the end. We don't really see anything. We we know what's in the box, and we know what happens to John Doe, but like it's not. You don't really see it, and I think that's what is more effective. Like that 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 shot, that upshot of Brad Pitt emptying the clip into him, a is a great shot, but b we're not we don't we're not seeing what John we're not seeing bullet written John Doe. Yeah, but we not. know what's happening. Oh, absolutely. And this is why I just can't respect. I don't
1: want to go up on a soapbox and go on too long a tangent, but this is the reason I can't respect that whole wave of sort of torture porn that happened in the the mid two thousands. And I guess they're they're still making movies in that vein, but Saw and Hostel, like I just don't give a shit. You're not challenging me as a viewer. You're yeah. just look at all this blood and torture and violence. like I don't fucking I don't need that.
0: The first Saw I enjoyed. I thought it was I, I thought it I was like, creative. I love the concept. Yeah, but, but Hostels. I I not fucking garbage. I just think Eli Roth is not good. <laughs> I don't think he's good. I don't get his movies. I don't like his style. And somebody please ask him to stop acting. Yeah, I'm 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 okay with that too. Um. I yeah, I mean I don't and you jump it too, but I also I love that there's a Shakespeare reference with uh uh greed and the pound of flesh. Oh yeah, Shylock the Merchant, Merchant and of Venice. That yep. that and Merchant of Venice is one of my. Probably in my top five. I do really like that play. I actually. I want to see you play Shylock, man. That that I had his. Um, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you poison us, do we not die? I used to know that speech. I w- it was at a, it was a grad school project. So I. Oh, I'm used obs- to know that. I'm
1: obsessed with the Michael Radford,
0: the Al film. Yeah, movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. To is- with all. if it will feed nothing else, it will feed my revenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, that not to tangent again too much, but
1: that's. I guess really one of the first instances of somebody playing Shylock not like a villain because everybody else plays him as just a stereotypical. I guess b- when people would play him back in the day, it was very anti-Semitic and.
0: Well, yeah, the the he was the blunt of the the blunt. He was the brunt of the joke. Exactly. I mean, and Pacino played
1: him like a human being. Yeah, I which mean, is one of the. I, I don't know. I didn't do the research, but from what they were talking about on the, like the EPKs that come on the, the the DVD, they were talking about how the, yeah this is really one of the first instances where we want Shylock to be a human being
0: and we want you to empathize with him to a degree. Hold, really quick. Technically, Merchant of Venice is a comedy. It's not a tragedy. And it's a comedy because it ends in a marriage. That's the only difference in, in terms of separating Shakespeare's plays. A tragedy ends with a death, and a comedy ends with a marriage. And there are marriages that end The Merchant of Venice. The whole reason why Shylock is a villain, beyond the fact that he's Jewish, and that's just when, back when the written in, in Elizabethan times, Jews really were the brunt of jokes. Uh, but part of it, too, is that he's trying to ruin Antonio's life. Antonio's trying to get married. Antonio's trying to move forward. And Shylock is the one, the deal that he made with Antonio. He's the one who's stopping this from happening. Shylock is the villain because he wants his pound of flesh. That was the... Anyways, we could go on a <laughs> Merchant of Venice tangent. We won't, but we could. Um... And then, and then I, it was around the, the point of the second one where I started wondering what the seven cardinal virtues were. Did you write those down? Because I, I, I wrote them down because no, I just thought ahead. they were interesting. So uh, obviously there are the seven uh, deadly sins. There are also the seven cardinal virtues. Those are chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, kindness, humility, and the one that I think would have saved Brad Pitt's life, patience, <laughs> um, which he just did not have. And again, it's funny because obviously it's it's seven because of the seven deadly sins, and that's what John Doe is basing his murders off of. But I, it was funny to start wondering, like, okay, well, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of these Morgan Freeman has, and I think that's why maybe he makes it out at the end. But you know, Brad Pitt doesn't seem very diligent. You know, he's cutting corners with like the Cliff Notes version of things, and he, he's he doesn't have patience. He doesn't really have humility. He doesn't know how to ask for help, and. It was funny to think about what his what his, you know, quote unquote, uh, deadly sin was. You know, he became wrath. But you know, what 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 were the cardinal virtues he was missing? Again, I thought it was just kind of an interesting thing to keep in mind as I was watching the movie. Well, they 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 have to go hand in hand. Yeah. Oh, totally. Absolutely.
1: And so to have the the personification of you know Brad Pitt giving into. A deadly sin, whereas Morgan Freeman manifesting all of the the
0: the virtues. I mean, it just it, it thematically it works. No, oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's hard to just talk about this movie in whole, but like, I don't, I don't really find any flaws in this movie. I feel like all the loose ends, all the small details, I feel like it's all kind of there. Mine, the one flaw that I found this go
1: around was the the score. I really feel like, I feel like there there are moments in the score where I feel it just it's not that it's a bad score. And this is Howard Shore, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's and he I like I like his stuff. I sure. think Howard Shore is a, a great composer. It's just it feels it it very much reminds me it's a 90s movie. Okay. That, and that's like my. It's not a bad score. It's just that yeah, this is a '90s movie. That's but literally my only complaint. When they're
0: but when they're when they're going to raid uh, Sloth's apartment. That and that's what I was think, when I. That's the scene where I took that note. I'm oh like, this man, that's a... where I was like, Melissa and I looked at each other.
1: And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it pumps you <laughs> up. But you know what I mean? Maybe I'm not. I don't think no, I'm
0: hitting it quite on the head. But does it give you a '90s vibe? I think it does. But that yeah. does, that also doesn't. I don't really. Yeah. If but, you're gonna be super nitpicky, sure. And th- but even then, like that's a that's a nitpick that um, it, it's not even really in the storytelling so much. Like, and at least in terms of like the script, like in terms of what what story is literally being told. Not let's forget like production design and cinematography, but the actual story being told. I I I, I fucking think it's airtight. I. But I am very biased. Yeah, it's so just the, an aesthetic. That's part of that, It's too. just an aesthetic thing. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's not a
1: major, like, grr, angry. This makes me hate this movie. Oh, no, no. Or no anything uh, like of that. Of course. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, this reminds me this is 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah Of course. The, the greed scene, I have a shot in that I fucking love. It's the reveal of the room with the, you know, the crime scene with Mills. Yeah, it's like a high up shot mm-hmm. where we finally get to we see, see greed. Yeah, yeah, scrawled in blood across the floor. Just that the the framing, the composition of that. I mean, I don't think I don't think there's a bad shot in this film. The I, composition
0: was very much on their minds. I cannot wait thing. to talk about composition next week with Fincher because oh, it's fucking insane. Yeah, it, it's just it's it's almost Kubrickian. Yeah it but and, and but not necessarily because of the composition but in the same in the same way that i know and begin and this is because i rewatched every single fincher film for next week you just know when you're watching a fincher movie yeah it's just so fucking obvious in a wonderful way yeah ah and
1: yeah god it's not it. like oh god he's doing that thing again it's like yeah man it, it it's it really pulls you in because it it's such a unique view of the world yeah Anyway, anyway, let's let's not go down exactly that rabbit hole exactly. So we got to save that. Um, so there are two moments of levity in this film before we go much further. Oh, pl- they, I, that was the next thing I was going to say. We we got to bring up the so after. Is it is it before? Oh man, I why am I blanking on this? So the dinner scene. Yeah, it's it's. Before it's before sloth, it's in between greed and sloth, right? Where Tracy they finally Mills has finally moved into the office, the office, yes, and Somerset is there waiting for him, which is a great little exchange.
0: Where I also the guy's fucking peeling his name off the door window. He's like, can, can you stop that? <laughs> <laughs> I just see yeah, there, are, there are some funny moments in the there team. are, but the, the two big moments of
1: levity are in for me anyway is when they're Tracy has gone to bed, they've had dinner, it's a uh, well, it's they're okay. I'll backtrack. There are there are two small moments within this scene, but yes. the, where they're talking about the nice, soothing, vibrating home. Yes. Where they figured out why the real estate guy brought them to the apartment during the hours that he did.
0: And in of, like really short windows. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
1: So when when Morgan Freeman kinda like pops that balloon and gets them to kind of laugh about it and that's that's really nice. And then there's the moment that His that, laugh like, is infectious. It really is. It's great. There's a there's a throwaway moment later after Tracy has gone to bed and they're looking at the greed crime scene photos trying to look at it from a different angle and find out what they've missed and as the train is going by um mills has offered somerset another drink and they they stop for a moment he hands it to, to somerset he hasn't looked at the drink yet but they stop for a moment while the train goes by and somerset does like a side eye thing at what mills has handed him and it's a highball glass that is full to the brim of wine it's not like a small glass of red wine but it's it's a highball glass completely full and I he looks at it like
0: the fuck i is don't know this? if i've ever noticed that you i know he i, I, I blatantly that. remember that he mills goes you want a beer and he goes no i'll have some wine yeah yeah because he yeah that's funny but the way that
1: morgan freeman looks at that glass just fucking slays me Fuck. I I really the point I wanted to bring up and what I really want to hammer home in this episode is I miss this Morgan Freeman I really miss this mid nineties to to late nineties Morgan Freeman because yeah. he just doesn't he's not in shit like this anymore There's he a, doesn't make these
0: kinds of choices anymore I, I would and I, again I'm not gonna sit here and say that I I know his IMDb front to back Gone Baby Gone was a nice that, uh, that's the last one I mean where it was really like whoa but that's thirteen years that's, ago I yeah. I, I I know. Yeah, but I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like Lucky Number 11
1: and Gone Baby Gone. Those are the last two good ones because he became pretty much just the voice of God at that point. He did, obviously, he did Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty, where and he, he played he's, God he's in those. Old. And he's a great choice for that. Yeah. Yeah. Problem is, I don't think he ever, because he, then he started doing all the voice work in March of the Penguins and he never really got back to, I think, this level, this quality of acting. Because now he's in all that B movie straight to video. He was in a movie with John Travolta last year and we all know oh, where his fucking career is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That's right. Him and Bruce Willis and John Travolta and Nick Cage. They'll just, I'm convinced they'll just literally fucking do anything that comes across their desk. Have
0: you seen the fanatic yet? I've not. No, fuck me. That's so bad. Um. So I, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. If we need to jump back, we can, but there's, I, so we, I have to talk about the Tracy and Somerset scene. It's great. Uh, it's, and it, this will come up again next week because Fincher
1: Fincher does, other than composition and the way his films look and how dark his films are, he does two really amazing things. Needle drops for, for music and uh, diner scenes mm-hmm. or, or, or bar scenes. Yeah. And he has two great ones in Seven. The first one is this one with Tracy and, and yeah. Somerset. Now, did you catch the third man? Oh, the
0: damn it. Fuck. Fuck. I was like, Ian is gonna love this.
1: <laughs>
0: also, the same diner they filmed the opening scene for Training Day in. Yeah. So obviously, there you know, Tracy comes to him and, and says that she's she's pregnant, and I, I gotta say that his you know, basic. Well, first of all, we now we now see how complicated he is because he essentially he tells her of a story of when he basically convinced a woman to have an abortion. But when the way that that scene basically ends with the if you keep it you spoil that child every chance you get, if that doesn't make you well up, man. I, oh I well, I had the I had the single tear coming out and I looked over at Melissa and she did too and I was like yeah fuck me that's yeah, that's
1: it's uh... anyway um, it's just
0: so tender and real and I fucking love that it's
1: it's great and I think I think Peltro I think Gwyneth Peltro has the thankless role in this movie
0: yeah. There's not a whole
1: lot for her to do but she's but she has to do she has to leave a, a really lasting impression on you because she is going to become a linchpin in this yeah. film completely plot. Well, and
0: I again and they they again I feel like they're able to do so much with so little. I love that the when we first see her. No, 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 that's not true. Sorry cuz they she he wakes up in bed with her. But when I guess I should when Mills um yeah, when when Somerset first meets her and they're coming in the high loser, high idiot. That that's a really nice touch. It really is. Yeah. I, I I was like and I, I couldn't I like was like you, I it you down.
1: know this is a couple that because they mentioned they were high school sweethearts. Yeah. Like you you wouldn't have had to have told me that. Like, yeah. I kinda I kinda got that. You guys have been together a long time. It's a really, really sweet moment that I wanna come back to my review. Yeah, that I had from John Rathall. In his final paragraph, he said, Seven's treatment of women, it has to be said, leaves something to be desired. The two touching early scenes in which the film seems to be going out of its way to make Mill's wife, Tracy, a real person, leave a nasty taste when it turns out she's just being set up as a victim. Now, I don't agree with that. I don't I think, either. I think she is really fleshed out. Yeah, she only has really two scenes. She has the scene... The dinner scene, the dinner scene, and then she has the diner scene. I yeah. mean, she has
0: little bits and pieces along the way. Yeah, but I it, think she's really well written. I, well, I think she, I think she's well written. I think she does her scenes very well. And again, and this comes up sometimes when we're trying to talk about what maybe a, maybe a movie hasn't aged well, or maybe it could have something different. This is just one of those instances where I, I you know, I'm sorry, but it's also a movie about these two detectives. It's like the yeah, it old is. the old guard and the new guard, and it's about these two guys. The fact that we get what we do with her, I think, is great. And what'll come up more next week is I don't want. I don't think that Fincher should be sort of uh, lopped into. Well, look at this. He didn't, and then look at you know all these pro masculine movie movies he does later. But I mean, you got to look at performances in his. I was just going to say, especially in like the last the the last few he's done. There are some fucking Rooney Mara, Rosman Pike, uh,
1: even even. Fight Club. Mar- uh, I was say uh, Helen Bottom Carter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He yeah. gets amazing performances out out of out of actresses. So, I, yeah, I I agree. I think I, I just think, I can't agree with that. But I don't agree that. with it either because yeah. we we meet Tracy and the whole point of Tracy, we've got to fall in love with her instantly. And I don't know about you, but I do. With oh her yeah. Interactions with Brad Pitt, I fall in love well, with her. I think she's great. She breaks our heart in the dinner scene. She's she's there long enough to leave a lasting impression, and then she's not in the movie again. And a comparison... For that, a goddamn good reason, because we have to to, to... to have
0: her be in the movie anymore would be to belabor the point. Yeah. And I would say, she does what Melissa does when we meet new people for the first time. People like me more after they meet Melissa. And I feel like we get to like Brad... Cause Brad Pitt is so, he's so brash and gung-ho and fuck this, let's just do that, that. she humanizes. Yes, exactly. And and again, whether it's a function of her performance or the writing or both, what we get really works in the movie. Um, yeah, yeah.
1: And the bit with the dogs as well. Yeah, That's yeah, fine. how are the kids? Yeah. And it's the the, the three big dogs. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, big dogs. Yeah, definitely.
1: So we, we should go back and deal with sloth.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
1: still fucking shocking. Yeah. 25 years later, when he they find out he's still alive, and yeah. it's, it's a, a real guy. Yeah. I mean, he was... Uh, 108 pounds or something like that. Bef- yeah, during bef- the audition. Yeah. And Fincher joked, hey, man, you should lose some more weight. And he got down to 96 pounds. Yeah. Insane. That's fucked up. And the way that they did his makeup. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the SWAT guys, the, the on-set coordinators, they actually thought it
0: was uh, a, a prosthetic. They didn't realize that that was a real dude. Oh, well, and the other thing, too, was... Uh, they didn't know that he was going to gasp. Yeah. So McGinley's reaction is pretty genuine. Oh, it's great. Cause he had no fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. It's I buy it. I, I buy that 100. Whenever, and whenever I read trivia like that, part of me wants to go like, I got to imagine, I guess I, I just want to know how the director is able to keep certain information. Cause that's plot pivotal that he's not dead. Cause obviously we get the scenes later and you know, in the hospital where we get the great line. Um, Hold on, hold on. He's been through about as much pain as anyone I've seen and he still has hell to look forward to. So, we know there's a scene in the hospital where we find out that oh and they basically if if he chewed off his tongue ages ago. Yeah. So, yeah, you couldn't ask him anything cuz he, he Yeah, if you shine a light in his eye, he'd die from
1: shock. Yeah. So, so that's one of those things where you just for me, I just give McGinley his scenes. I don't give him that scene. No, no, no. You and know what I mean?
0: I get that in terms of what you would do, but I, I you know, I It's I just I guess I'm just like I it would be so if I was cast in a movie, it'd be like, "Here are your scenes," and be like, "Oh, so I don't get to read the whole the whole script?" I'd be like, "No." Then I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, it'd intrigue oh, you more." Okay, yeah, that's yeah, on, and that's a move,
1: great. on a movie like this where you have twist after twist, exactly, and you have yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, the greatest ending in modern film noir. <laughs> Fuck like, yeah! It really is. I mean, you've got to you've got to keep that shit under wraps. So I can
0: imagine being like, no, 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 no. You only get these pages. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get. I guess I get. I get how they do it. The actor in me would just be. I would yearn for those pages. I don't get. Yeah.
1: Now the <laughs> photographer that comes to the crime scene.
0: Hmm. Hmm. How much did you? So
1: when when we do come back full circle and we are inside John Doe's apartment, which we'll get to we'll get to that. But when that comes full circle, I remember the first time I saw this film. It yeah. left such a lasting impression, and I must have like screamed at my TV when
0: I found out. Holy shit! He was the fucking photographer. Yeah, he was right there. What the fuck? My, my freshman year of high school. Um, in the same M of- I L L S. Fuck off. <laughs> In the same in the same three to four month span, I watched Seven and The Usual Suspects for the first time. I would give anything to go back and relive watching both of those movies for the first time. Uh, they're they're uh, up there, for and, me. and yeah, I I when you realize that they they had him, and and you know he just they didn't let him go, you know, because it's not like he was, but you know that they were that close. And that it's, close and it's him. another
1: one of those little pegs on the way to building that. Oh brad pitt might make a good wrath
0: yeah, yeah 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 the only oh it's so funny i I said that i uh, i didn't have any nitpicks i i do believe that the the script is airtight the the fbi guy in the library stuff it's a bit deus ex machina it's a bit like we're gonna help solve this problem like without it, it doing, was
1: in the 90s but patriot act
0: now yes and i i get that that makes sense now i, I just it was it was just sort of it was the only time i felt like it was kind of an exposition dump in the entire movie this whole like you know the fbi tracks your your reading your, history. your book Certain records and so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, don't get me wrong it doesn't it doesn't stop me from enjoying the movie but yeah.
1: And, yeah and the only other stretch for me is when they pull the the painting off the wall after the wife has told them it's upside down and they start brushing the wall for fingerprints i'm like man you've got to be a great cop to to think of that and i just
0: think to do that and i attribute that again to a way that we're showing the difference between mills who's already been like he's like fuck this and he's already basically given up right to somerset who's like just give me a second you know yeah. that's that years of detective work that right. just you know yeah because they say he's like 34 year well, veteran, and, and there was a, there sorry i'm jumping all the way back to the beginning like the there that totally unrelated crime scene that they're at like that that like really starts the movie and the other detective is like or like, Somerset asks, like, did the kids see it? Like, it's got to be some kind of a murder that happened. That's
1: a great little thing that they supplant to the, to really hammer home just how good Somerset is at his but job. But, like,
0: and the one guy's like, boy, we're sure going to like it when you're out of here. And I'm like, why? Because he's he's a detective and he's asking questions? You must fucking suck at this. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I I hated that guy because like you're not doing your job right <laughs> and that's andrew
1: kevin walker is the as the dead body and that oh fuck that's, I don't his think I mean, that's great yeah. that's good
0: yeah. um oh man i fuck this fucking movie so um, that
1: it pretty much that brings us up pretty much to lust yeah which is still one of the most shocking things i've ever seen in my life and we don't see it
0: yeah yeah
1: great hammer that home again like it's perfectly crafted your mind does the work for you and you think you've seen something horrific but you haven't seen anything
0: i mean but the the
1: i mean they the photo they pull back the sheets yes oh the way they they layer in that photo because we don't get to see it when they go to wild bill's leather show yeah once they've they've figured out where they need to go because they get into they get into john doe's apartment and they find the the receipt for yeah wild bill's leather and i love Fincher's restraint where he holds back we don't get to see the the weapon until we're already out of the crime scene and we're yeah we're in the interrogation room so we go through the whole thing not knowing how the prostitute died until we're sat there with Leland Orser screaming about how I had a gun in my throat and he put this thing on me and he made me fuck her and then the cuts of the the knife dildo is one of the greatest cuts of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and I don't I don't know what I don't know what episode it was, but you were we were talking about you you mentioned like the weird thing with can you can can you can you sweat on command with Christian Bale, and I was I went on to think about breathing and there are ways that you can breathe to Just help you cries ca- and whispers. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's it. That's what it was. And yeah. I was um, hoping we were gonna do and, a call and, back. And Leland Orso, there's there's you can you, you if you can do a breathing pattern that you you know is um, the equivalent of what would happen in a certain state that's going to help get you there. Like he could have been having the best day in like uh, the actual Leland Orso, like his, the real person could have been having a fantastic gets to set good day. It's great. All you have to do is like, if you know that you're going to start filming in like three minutes, is just start getting in this. And then if you do it for a long enough time, it's going to fuck with your mental state and it's going to put you in that emotional place that you need to be. And that's again, for one, you get one scene and you fucking knock it out of the park. Oh yeah. It's incredible. Anyways, yeah, I definitely was coming back to yeah. that.
1: <laughs> I, do, I wish I see, I wish I would see him in more stuff because he does something similar in Alien Resurrection uh, a couple oh, years later. God. He's one, he's Love. one of the guys that, I know. Terrible movie, yeah. but he again stands out in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pride, pride. I feel like it's the it's the one that kind
0: of gets like okay.
1: Well, yeah, because we're kind of we're on this roller coaster and we're racing towards the end. Like this thing is going to burn itself out real quick because there's only. There's only two left.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And they're already on to him. Like he's got he talks about having to move up his schedule. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do feel like that that murder scene is a little hard done by, but
0: in a movie that's already two hours, like we got it. We gotta yeah. keep moving. Now can I ask you a question? It's a plot it's kind of a plot question. How does Wrath and Envy really fit into John Doe's plan? In terms of, like, we know with Sloth, right, that he's been there for a year and that we the photos show the disintegration of this guy. But obviously, like, Somerset – or uh, Mills, sorry – he's new to the city. Like, he's new to the case. This is not, like – John Doe doesn't know him. He doesn't know but Tracy. That, but that's why I brought up the, the photographer
1: scene and that little peg. That little sp- no. I like to imagine John Doe having a little spark of an idea. That wrathful cop, like, hmm, maybe this guy is a good candidate.
0: Yes, I. So, so I guess my question is: is is was it John Doe's plan ultimately? I I think this is, but that he knew that he wanted to be killed. That that that, that person's was going to be wrath, but he had to truly find somebody that he was envious of for it to complete the seven. Right? I don't
1: think they ever use the word martyr in the movie, but that's I definitely feel like that's on his mind. Yeah, OK, OK. Yeah, I for just for me, there was there's really no I've never actually asked myself that question.
0: Yeah. And, and I and I usually fill it in with like he always knew that that's how it was going to end. But the, the person was never set. Unlike unlike Sloth. Right. Unlike, Unlike some of the people can, he been can following. never following.
1: He can never go to trial. In his mind, I think he's like, I can't go to trial because then I'll have to talk about this thing. Yeah. And in talking about it, it'll destroy the work, the quote-unquote work that I've done. That's so I how, have to martyr
0: myself so this thing will live on. And that's how airtight the script is because you get Richard Schiff going, you know, if if you... Oh, and if, what if, a scumbag if, he plays. <laughs> I, I know, love, I know. Oh, just, just the
1: character actors in this, the guys yeah. that just pop up for a scene, like you talk about Leland Orser or Richard Roundtree. Yeah. that just, they do... There's Incredible just readable work, but
0: again, it's it's the, you know, if if you if you don't agree, my client will plead sent or insanity up and down the board. But if you do this, he'll sign a full confession. It's like, and then you're in the room and it's like, well, fuck me. You're t- we're taking an unarmed man. Well, of course we'll go do it. You know, yeah. and it's just it's it, it's it's. The, I love Brad Pitt's conviction in that, and this is what I
1: again coming back to. We don't see this Morgan Freeman anymore. The hesitation in Morgan Freeman. And Brad Pitt pushing, he's like, let's finish this thing. But you can see that Freeman is like, no, there is fucking more to this. Yeah. Which is why the next scene, which is the other big moment of levity, where they're preparing to go out. And they talk about, if I accidentally, they're they're shaving their chest so they can stick the mics on them. And like, if I accidentally shave off a nipple, do you think that'll be covered by workman's comp? comp? (laughs) And what does he say? He says something like, if you were man enough to fill out the paperwork? I'd
0: pay you myself.
1: Yeah. 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 (laughs) But that, that... that hesitation, and he talks about how you know if a if if John Doe's head cracks open and a UFO is to fly out, I want you to act as though you've expected it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, before we before we deal with John Doe, yeah, we have to deal with the apathy conversation. Yeah. So before pride and after lust, yes, they they go to that bar, mm-hmm. and that is like you said in, in an airtight script. This is fucking airtight dialogue, which just resonates yeah like really really hits home when he's talking about their different world views mills you talk about being the young gung-ho and experienced you know he's he's gonna save the world he's Mm -hmm. gonna fix whatever part of this city that he can and somerset knowing that it's all fucking futile yeah that back and forth it seems a bit cheesy when you put it like that but it's it's ultimately so really it's very necessary. I love how he says how Somerset says him mean, you can't afford to be this naive. And then Brad Pitt the the Mills character hits back with man I I I think you want to believe all this bullshit that you're saying to me but I just I can't. I can't I can't agree with you and I can't believe that
0: you believe what you're saying. Yeah, what does he say he goes I don't believe that you're retiring because of this. I think I think this is true or what you know he he, he flips it. He goes I think that you are retiring be- you want us to believe that you're retired because you believe this, but I think you believe this because you're retiring or something like that. Yeah. There's something where he's like, I think, yeah, he's like, I think you want to believe it, yeah, but yeah. but you can't. And th- that
1: whole conversation about apathy is just amazing how it's just, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't, people don't want a champion and he doesn't, he doesn't want to live anymore in a city that embraces and nurtures apathy as a virtue because for for most, it is a solution. It's easier to beat a child than it is to raise one. That's yep. that's, that's so th- good. That literally that piece of dialogue. That's
0: the f- one quote from this scene I I pulled because I was yeah. like, man, that's yeah. And and, and I, apathy just, just, is a solution as a parent. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it'd be it, and I, don't get me wrong. You I, we yell more more than I wish I did sometimes. You know, girls, knock it off or don't do that. But it takes. Focus into I. I get I'm more exhausted watching my kids do anything than like physically doing manual labor. It is the most mentally exhausting thing to make sure your kids don't do something stupid and that, or that hurt. That's, the, slip into apathy. I mean, yeah,
1: I, it's got to be real fucking easy. Just like turning on a light switch, man. I have to imagine that it is. Yeah. Um. Well, for, obviously, for I don't want to generalize, but for some more than others, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Uh, I got I got a question for you
0: that cab driver just pulls him up to the police station covered in blood and that cat and the car does not speed off like it just glides out of the frame that's got to be one hell of a tip <laughs> or or and so so i was ready to like had that be one of my nitpicks like like hmm, that's that's a, that could have been fixed right but that's that's very nitpicky well, but i i just dis- but i dismiss it and for for the conversation that we just had about like I bet that cab driver was like, Oh, dude, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna drive him because I don't I, I'm not gonna deal with this shit. Today. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. that's why I was like, I was ready to go, eh, that's not good. And I was like, wait, they just had a whole conversation about this. Yeah. I think that's I think that's intentional. Yeah. So anyways, that's wanted to say that. Now Kevin Spacey. Yeah.
1: As a human being, piece of shit. Yo. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. His performance in this, fuck me, is I don't think he did
0: he has he bettered it. Well, I get that it's I I am still very partial to his performance in American Beauty. I, I'm not going to lie. And I get that that's even weirder now with what the role is and who he was as a person. Um but I I would I would say because for me it's this or Kaiser Soze. I it well and I think it's those three. I think yeah. it's those three performances are just like next level. Yeah. I also okay. I won't lie. I really like him in Horrible Bosses. That's just a fun. I know movie. I, I saw it. Great. I know I saw it, but
1: I had all. Have you seen Swimming with Sharks? No, I See, own he's it. I've pretty, never he's seen. Pretty it.
0: much just doing
1: Swimming with Sharks. Oh, like Okay, that. okay, that's well, wow, um, which is a really good movie. Okay, really, really underrated. Yeah, um, his line reading, uh, Detective,
0: when he like that I oh. okay wait can I can I say what I wasn't going to bring it up but you just you, had, you brought up that line so and I was in the Pillow Man a few years ago and there are a couple of lines that I I had to say that are legit in the script I I had to say what's in the box and I had to yell detective and you better goddamn believe that i couldn't do what's in the box that way cuz it's two. but the way he yells detective i, I shit you not i try to do a an exact line reading of well, that and you know when McDonough wrote that like that you can't write maybe
1: detective but you can't write what's in the box without go oh yeah come on even yeah. if you're like even if you're subconsciously you're just down doing your thing and you write what's in the box after you stop and look at that you're going uh, yeah it's <laughs> seven <laughs> can't not make that homage or not yeah. make that connection yeah, you know, definitely right? but and, and when they finally get him down on the ground he's like I'd like to speak to my lawyer but the way that he sounds out every syllable of that the sentence,
0: way that he dips his tea is just so like mm.
1: so delicate yeah. yeah they talk about him being independently wealthy and he's been slicing off his fingertips for years no bank account nothing
0: like, oh god the, and the shot of the bloody fingerprints too yeah
1: it, that's such a great little yeah, didn't details
0: yeah just deep fucking details yeah it's just cho- it's devil's in the them. details man yeah that's yeah. that's fincher's
1: entire career devil's in the details
0: um and we're pretty much kind of at the end um and you know the car ride and when we get there and i'm not trying to gloss over anything but i think the last real like heart-wrenching pivotal moment is is watching him it's that close-up on his face where he's He's got the he's, he's got the tears in his eyes and when he's when he's pointing the gun at him and he looks serious and then he breaks away cuz it's cuz it like you can see that he's he's got all these thoughts going in his brain and
1: he, this this is Mills we're talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah. And he, as he 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 wants to kill him as much as he's mourning his wife and it's those like he looks down and he, and he, you know he's 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 pulling and he looks back up and he's like I'm going to fucking do this and he looks back down and that that back and forth is I I know I usually when I watch this in the past, just for like pleasure viewing, it's I just know I'm living in the like the grand scheme of John Doe, right? But watching it this time, watching him slowly cope and realize that this is my life, that this is not I, I've become a part of his plan and and that my wife is now is now gone. Watching him process that in real time is fucking painful.
1: Yeah, I love that we, we don't get to cut away, that we have to sit in this thing. Yeah, I, I, I've talked about that on a lot of other things as well, but when I'm forced to just sit in something, like, don't, don't give me an easy way out.
0: Make me sit in this. Make no. me live this. The last time I really felt that way was um, 12 Years a Slave, where they, they put him up in, they in the noose. Oh, where they hang him? And that you're on that shot for like, three minutes yeah just watching everybody else go about their business and he's just there
1: legitly one of the most uncomfortable things ever
0: yeah yeah and while i would say that's harder to watch than this but i i agree sometimes we have to live in the uncomfortable we have to be shown that and while
1: we're focusing on brad pitt i i have to say these are my they're probably not their best performances but for morgan freeman brad pitt and kevin spacey these are my three favorite performances of all of theirs in one movie
0: throw in gwyneth paltrow she this be a top five for me. Yeah. I, I realize that she's had a really long career, but I also know she's done a lot of stuff that I I'm not the biggest fan of. But again, I don't I think like post this, like she does Emma the next year, and then eventually she does she wins her Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. And then she just I, I don't necessarily like the the path that she goes on after that, but like before she really becomes like famous Gwyneth Paltrow. I, she does some good work, and yeah, absolutely. I, and yeah,
1: the, the '90s were great for her.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know what she's doing now. Whether they post the the batshit crazy science or whatever the hell her company is called, where they're making the, the the eggs, and the fucking the candle that smells like her vagina. Have you heard about that?
0: I have no yep, idea what yep. what there's you're a talking Netflix, about.
1: there's a Netflix there's a documentary about her company and the sort of bullshit pseudoscience around the products that they sell uh, okay. you should give it give it a watch Oof, okay, yeah it's, well, we'll see yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway, we skipped over the car ride,
0: yeah, yeah, which has some amazing. Innocent yeah Amazing only in dialogue. a world this what does he say i have, like in uh in, i he doesn't say fucked up, but like only in this kind of a world would you would you call these people innocent?
1: We tolerate a deadly sin every day on every street corner
0: yeah, yeah. and it's it's tough because there are it's one of those things too where you 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 let may not agree, but you see where he's coming from in a, in his fucked up way it's like now we now, have now, to, we have to question. Our own morality. Yeah, I mean, it's like does that does the fact that a guy, I think maybe the toughest one is the gluttony one. Like, okay, so the guy's fat, and and maybe maybe we'd point at him on the street. I get that he that, but like, that's that's the I think that might maybe the hardest one to justify. Like, that's a that's why you're gonna kill somebody because they're they're just they're overweight. Yeah, and yeah, it does. It certainly makes you confront the varying degrees to all of these deadly sins and and, and how we see them or in, or interact with them in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. But yeah, I I mean, he just it's like he's definitely he's he's um he's grandstanding, you know, he's on his soapbox. He's got and whether or not um you know, he knew what he was going to say, you know, he's got the rapt attention of two people plus whoever can hear it on the radio. Like it, this this is going to you know, this is gonna be in the annals of history, what he's saying right now. Not just the whole plan, not just what happened, not just what's gonna be in the newspapers, but he's getting to, you know, prophesy it and just like put all this grand speechifying out there.
1: Yeah, those those last fifteen minutes really drive home what I said earlier about these performances being my favorites of those three particular actors. You get to see the the sort of patience of Morgan Freeman, as he sat there listening to this, and you can see him genuinely taking it all in and kind of being at one remove. You know, don't engage with this guy, whereas whereas Mills is just hammering him. Yeah. And you get to see and, and reinforce his, his wrathful and his irritation. And did you catch the thing that Brad Pitt does in this movie when he's irritated? Like he rubs his head? Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's a great little character beat. He does it three or four times throughout the film where he's like pissed off or frustrated or... It's just like one of those he, great. He
0: does it when right before he gets the cliff notes because yeah. he's trying to like understand Paradise Lost and yeah. he's just like fucking can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> fucking Dante. And we also skipped over the chase scene.
1: God, it still fucking holds up, man. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. And, it's so good. That's and, probably one of my favorite sections of the film. It's important too to realize that John Doe let him live. Yes, and it's. It, that's that. that's again another great detail to that whole thing and, that, and Once then you
1: get to the end of the movie and you realize just how in control of everything John Doe has been
0: and even and it's it's you know it's one of those things too where even yes John Doe has has killed his wife it's one of those things it's you know it's nobody's really thinking about it at the moment but you know everybody's forgetting that he let he spared your life Yep. And you've still chosen to kill him. To yeah, exactly. S- and, and, and granted, yeah, his wife's dead. I, I, I would do the same thing. But in, in the grand scheme of John Doe's plan, like I spared you, and yet you still, I don't, yeah. yeah and this I gets, can't, yeah. I can't
1: say I wouldn't do the same thing either. Yeah. I'm,
0: pro- I'm probably emptying
1: that fucking cliff into John Doe's <laughs> yeah, head. Yeah, I, I, I also love in the chasing how they worked in Brad Pitt's injury because he yes, did put his elbow say. through. He slipped on one of those cars and put his elbow through a windshield. Yeah. So it's great how they were able to work that in. But I also love when they come back to the apartment, like, we need a reason to be here. We need a reason to kick this fucking door in. And just, again, continuing building that raffle exactly. nature of that character. Like, that, well, again, one of no my No use favor- arguing now. Exactly. One of my absolute favorite character beats yeah, is yeah. that little sequence. And then Morgan Freeman doing his dumb son of a- and then walks
0: away. Yeah. So let's, let as we've kind of reached the end of the movie- um, let let's maybe you want to solidify some things. Um Do you have a favorite scene or a favorite shot? Oh man, so many. I know. I mean we've mentioned a lot of them anyway, but
1: I had read that in some home video versions the flash frame of Tracy's head is cut out. Oh no. Like what no. A- no, absolutely not. That one hundred percent mean, you mean be before a, it prompts him to before it prompts him because he yeah. like he, he goes to let the gun drop and you and sh- that's think what... he's gonna you think he's gonna let Somerset take the gun and then the flash frame like how could you have a version of the movie without that in it? Yeah, yeah. Which, of course, that wasn't going to be the ending at all. They, uh new line had said, no, 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 we're not doing the head in the box fucking ending. But apparently that's the version, that that version of the script made it into Fincher's hands. Yes. And both him and Brad Pitt went, we're not making this movie without the head in the box. Yeah. that That is the fucking movie.
0: Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit more next week, but I'm glad that the shit show that was the third Aliens movie didn't, uh, dissuade Fincher from standing his ground on this. You know what I mean? That he he stuck to his guns and wanted to do this. Um right. Because I, I, I hard to say what history would have been if they had changed it. But I'm very much happy with the way that this ends. And what's well,
1: the, what? and, and a good thing that he didn't make the game first, which was he was originally oh, the, he was okay. prepping the game, and then Brad Pitt became available, so they made this. Great, great. The, Cronenberg could have very well have ended up directing Seven, which is eight totally fucking different movie we
0: i i feel like we're gonna see a lot of the things that we don't see in this version
1: yeah 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 that that's uh that's an nc-17 for sure
0: (laughs) fuck um i i i think as as whole scenes go i was gonna say that the chase is fucking so great yeah when he's chasing winding through all the apartments and yeah yeah yeah. and it's we've gone because and it's not just it's not just that it's. Palpable and 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 on the edge of your seat, but it is such a a. It's been very dolly steady cam. That all of a sudden now we're handheld and we're fucking like we're we're in it. It is intense. It's yeah. fucking so. And then of course the the slow mo of the gun coming up to his temple and and everything. It's just it's fucking phenomenal. Which
1: is why I have a hard time not making a case for Darius Conji
0: being my unsung hero. I. I, there are a shitload you could have gone with. Yeah, yeah. I and I went with Richard Francis Bruce. I went with the editor because
1: it it's paced so
0: well. Yeah, I was going to well. say. It, I mean, it and, but, really is. But honestly, like, and I don't have I don't have the name of the production designer. You could have easily gone with the production designer. Oh, Arthur Max. Yeah, I mean he, that's uh, that's Ridley's guy. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, like, again, like the details of the air fresheners in the in the um, sloth oh, apartment. It's so Like good. that just really works to set you. On yeah, the edge,
1: yeah. I it, so many little details they pepper in where like you just catch them for a minute, and then your your mind catches up with what you've seen, and it 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 instills this tremendous sense of dread. Yeah, which is definitely what those air fresheners did the first time I saw. I was like, what the f- air freshener? And then I'm like, oh no. Yeah. I, so, well, I don't. I guess I didn't really answer favorite shot. Yeah. I mean, the whole the whole fucking thing is my favorite <laughs> I know, shot. I know. <laughs> i don't know man just i there's so many that stand i love the image of brad pitt stood in the rain right before the gluttony scene he's holding the two cup and he just looks like a drowned rat and he just looks fucking so miserable that's a great little thing uh when we finally get into john doe's apartment there's so many great shots in there yeah i think it's yeah and of course the, the the you know, I'm going to be subversive. I'm going to say my favorite shot is the the cut to the Polaroid of the knife dildo, sure, because of just how much it horrified and tormented me. Yeah, huh. I thought he was a what, what was White Bill say? I thought he was a, a performance artist. You know, the type of guy that pisses on a cup on stage and drinks it. I've made weirder shit than that. Um, or the guy, the proprietor at the uh, at the. Those sex rooms. Yeah, he's like, you didn't see a guy with a package carrying anything. Yeah, all the time, man. Guys come in with fucking suitcases.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, just ugh. yeah. And then that things the, that make the imagination. Go, just, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, hmm. Gee. Ian, do you think that uh, seven should be in the book?
1: Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm, delicate sensibilities or not, this is one of those movies that should be. You can't call yourself. A film fan, a film nerd, film geek, whatever you want to use, without having seen this, yeah,
0: it's it's a fucking. I mean, must. you're allowed
1: you're allowed to not like it. That's yeah. fine. but Yeah. You have to. You got to put this in your face. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You absorb it. Let it just wash over you. Cause... And it, it really does. And it, and and it's it it. I mean, it's two hours. It's like it's a little over two hours. But like this is the quickest watch, man. You the time just fucking goes by. And as we'll
1: discuss next week, so do many of David Fincher's films. They
0: really do. Um, uh, But that's what we think of Seven. But of course, we want to know what you think. So please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know what you think of Seven, um, when you first saw it, what's your favorite part. We would love to hear from you. Um, You can find us on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, all the great places. Um, And again, stay tuned next week as we do uh, our definitive rankings of Fincher's filmography. Cannot fucking wait. It was too big to just
1: tack on to the end of yeah, the episode. no way.
0: No way. Um, uh, so until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.